0: grace mercy and peace be unto you from god our father and our lord and savior jesus christ amen jesus said in the gospel reading heard a few minutes ago for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted now those words are important and they convey something about yourself so what does this mean well listen again to that parable I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. Now, if you remember in school, you used textbooks, and in those, you would have textbook examples. Now, often in math, those textbooks examples are weird, like the story problems of the guy who buys like 85 bananas and then he sells, you know, two of them. And you're like, why in the world would you buy 85 bananas? But textbook examples exist for a reason. You read, you study a textbook, and then from those examples, you can apply those attributes, those qualities, or even those principles, so as to recognize and then diagnose when those things pop up or when they're manifested in life you, you see something like oh yeah well this is like this or this is like that it's part of learning it's how we think now the pharisee here in this parable jesus gives he's a textbook example of self-righteousness he thinks he's righteous and he looks at others with contempt he's got his nose in the air The Pharisee in the parable would give answer to the question, what does God think about you? If somebody were to ask him that, he would answer with, God sees that I'm good. Or at least, if he's maybe feeling a little humble about himself, I'm better than those around me, those sinners. So he's a textbook example of this. And you can spot his self-righteousness from a mile away. You see it coming. Now then, Jesus gives us this tax collector, on the other hand, tax collectors weren't very popular, a little bit different than today. Although today, who knows what a tax collector is when you see it right on the news and, well, that's a whole other story. But he's a textbook example of repentance and faith. He knows his sin. He confesses his sin. And what he does is he clings to the only hope he has in this life as a sinner. He clings to the mercy of God. And so even his body language conveys this as he beats his breast and does not lift his eyes to heaven. His whole body is conveying that he knows who he is and he knows that he has no way to approach God. Now in the history of the church, there's a con- the confession and absolution part. There's different services that had that. And there's a fancy name called the confitior, And it's a confessional rite in the church and it was often con- common to confess, when confessing one's sins, that you would beat, the person would beat their breast with their hand, saying, I have sinned through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Actually, in our hymnal, the service of compline or compline has that at the beginning, that confitior service. And you've also maybe used a phrase from that, from the Latin form of this prayer in your life, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. So here's the tax collector. The textbook example not of self-righteousness, but of a sinner. But you see, a sinner who repents and clings to God's mercy, he clings to Christ. He has faith. Jesus then lays both of these men before you. These textbook examples are even caricatures, if you will, and he preaches to you. He shows you them, and he's telling you something. And his purpose in all of this is to show how one is justified, that is, how one is righteous in the sight of God. So anytime Jesus does this then, and we see these two diametrically opposed things, the question then that gets begged to ask of ourselves is, well, who are you? Who am I? Where do I fit in? Well, when you look at yourself... You see them both both men preach to you about who you are in this world and what that means as you stand before god one serves as a warning and the other is a proclamation of comfort and so with that we listen and take heed to jesus who said for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted now let's unpack this a bit further Let's go back to the Old Testament reading today for another example as we examine our life. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now one of the ways that sin manifests itself in our lives and its very nature is to justify ourselves. So even before Cain killed Abel, he was jealous and angry of his brother's offering and how God was pleased with him. He had contempt for his brother. And after killing Abel, Cain then tries to divert that blame away from himself, Abel whose brother's blood was crying out to God, but Cain says that he tries to say his hands are clean of his brother's blood. He's not my problem, he's my brother. But he got that honestly remember who his parents are? Adam and Eve. And they did a similar thing when God confronted them after the fall into sin. In Genesis 3, it says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here they sinned against God. God confronts them and what did they do? Adam blamed his wife, Eve my wife made me do it then eve blamed the serpent the devil made me do it so that blame game is a form of self-justification trying to think one is righteous in god's sight even when god says something different and it's easy to see in the cases of adam and eve and cain but what about when it hits home in our lives What about when you go about your life refusing to hear God's word? What about when you've been taught the things of God but willingly believe and live against those things which God has taught you? What's your reaction when you stand before God's law and see that you have sinned against him? What's your answer to what God says? Is it to blame someone or something else? Well, this person really hurt me. They really hurt my family. Is it to rationalize that you were justified in your actions? Well, times are different now. We need to be tolerant of others. I really was trying to do what was best. Is it to try to silence God by calling him a liar, that his word isn't true but thinking you haven't done anything wrong? Well, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't agree with everything the Bible says. Besides, my faith is my own. I don't need to hear God's word. I'm spiritual but not religious. Now, none of those responses or mindsets come from a humble heart but remember what jesus said for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted so we hear that warning of the first man who also then tried to use his own works as a way of saying what he had what to try to place those before god that he thinks that because he does these things he stands right with god One of my professors he's actually my doctoral um supervisor he always tells the the what he calls a joke but his idea of a joke is a theological lesson right there's this famous story of martin luther and thomas aquinas who's a famous theologian in the roman catholic church who's well known most of their even doctrine today comes from him and he talks a lot about works and things like that they go stand before god right and so then they stand before the pearly gates and then Saint Peter says, why should I let you into heaven, right? That classic example. Thomas Aquinas then has the sack over his back. He throws it down before him. He said, here are all of my good works. Here are all the good things that I've done for you and for your name. And he go- looks at Luther and he goes, so what have you got? I don't see anything. Where are your works? He said, they're down on earth where they belong. Well, I guess you guys do find it funny. We never laugh. <laughs> The point being, right, we can't offer anything to God because we're sinners. Now, it doesn't mean we don't do good works. That epistle reading says that we are prepared beforehand to do those things. And even that self-righteous spirit manifests itself in our lives that we try to take those good things and even try to use them, right? It's good that, we're, that he's not an unjust man or that he's an adulterer or not a, that he's not an adulterer or all those things like that. You don't want to be those things. Or it's good that he fasts. It's good that he tithes. Those are all good and well but not the basis by which he takes confidence in and his standing before God. So that's why then we see these things, and God calls us to repent, lest we go to our house, not justified, but condemned. A gradual a few minutes ago said, To you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I call, cry to you for help. In Romans 7, God inspired St. Paul to write, For I delight in the law of God and my inward being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice those words of the hymn of day you sang a few minutes ago. One of my kids' favorite hymns, they love singing that hymn, and they'll go around the house singing it. Easy one to teach to your kids and grandkids. Great hymn. Oh, how great is your compassion, faithful father, God of grace, that with all our fallen race, in our depth of degradation, you had mercy so that we might be saved eternally. Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Similarly, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And again in Galatians 4, it is written, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So in all of this, we see something that is remarkably comforting. God shows mercy. And God's mercy is found. God's mercy is known. God's mercy is shown in Jesus, who has taken on your sin. So your guilt has been placed on Christ. So by the righteous life, the atoning death, and resurrection from the dead, your sin is forgiven. So now you are righteous and have a righteousness, but that righteousness isn't your own. It's the righteousness of Jesus, accounted to you, given to you, received. Through faith, That wonderful epistle reading today that we all know so well, especially as good Lutherans, right? It preaches to us what is ours by Christ in Christ by grace through faith in him. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That hymn of the day preaches to you where you find then your comfort as you hear those words and cling to Christ as you go through this life as a saint, who in humility clings to Jesus, and God has exalted you. Firmly to our soul's salvation, witnesses your spirit, Lord, in your sacraments and word. There he sends true consolation, giving us the gift of faith, that we fear, not hell nor death. So this very moment, as you sit here in this place, and as you see these two textbook examples of self-righteousness and repentance and faith, and you know that you are a sinner insofar as you, in you, that you stand condemned under God's law, but you know, baptized into Christ, that you are a saint, that you are an heir of eternal life, And you know that you are justified. You know that you stand righteous in the sight of God. And so you know that sin, you know that hell, you know that the devil, and you know that death have no claim on you. Your sin is forgiven. God says that to you. You're baptized into Christ. God has done that. Your Lord feeds you with his own true body and blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. And so rather than standing before God and saying, Here what this is what I have done, here I'm not like these people, you say, Lord, here's Christ. I'm a sinner, here's your son who died for me, here's what he has done for me. I have nothing, you have given me everything. And you see, that is how you rejoice this day, dear people of God. We cling to Jesus, crucified for you. He's taken your sin upon himself, the one who humbled himself. And you have his righteousness by grace through faith in him. So you are exalted, for you belong to Jesus. And not only that, but the day is coming when you will be exalted as you are raised from the grave. Never to see sin, never to see death, never to see the assaults in the devil ever, ever again. That is the glorious and exalted future you have because of your Lord who humbled himself for your sake. God is indeed merciful to you, a sinner, and that is your redemption. Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And that is most certainly true. And in faith, the church cries out in all boldness and confidence to what our Lord says. Lord, your mercy will not leave me. Ever will your truth abide. Then in you I will confide. Since your word cannot deceive me, my salvation is to me safe and sure eternally. I will praise your great compassion, faithful Father, God of grace, that with all our fallen race, in our depth of degradation, you had mercy so that we might be saved eternally. Amen.